Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And listen, I know I say I'm excited every day, but today I really genuinely am excited. I have, um, wow, and he's he's gone right now. <laughs> I've been having some technical difficulties this morning with my internet. I'm not sure what the heck that's all about, but um, we're going to try to get him back on here real quick. And... Um, Let's see, here he comes. Hey, I lost you there, man. So um, I have uh, Mr. John Toda on the show today. John is the CEO and founder of Knowledge Link, which is an unbelievable learning management system. So I want to welcome John to the show. John, welcome, man. Thanks for having me here, Ken. Yeah, sorry I lost you there. It, it was, uh, <laughs> we had a hiccup. That's internet. cool. I'm here, ready to go. Internet, man, the internet. So, <laughs> so, so, John, you know, I, as you know, I, I created this show um, to help people have a breakthrough in life. And I believe that a lot of people get stuck and they don't know what to do. I have Sandy Zanino on, on right now. She is, um, I talked to her yesterday. She's, she's amazing. She's actually looking at knowledge link right now. So, um, but I, you know, I want to, want to, you know, start with kind of your life story, if you would, or pieces of it. Like where were you born and raised? Let's start there. Sure. So I was born and raised Long Island, New York. And, uh, Went uh, all the way through school there and uh, and then went to college outside of Philadelphia at Villanova. And uh, I studied communications while I was there and then moved back to New York City when I finished and, and you know, kind of been in New York City for about 20 years since then. Wow. So so you 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 answered like my first three questions uh, in one sentence <laughs> all right the interview's over thanks That's dude it. i appreciate it <laughs> all right so we can backtrack and, and I'm dive deeper. <laughs> I, you know i i think that and and i do want to and i you know i'm not going to get real personal i know you're a you're a pretty pretty private guy by the way this is john's coming out party it's his very first live stream i believe right it is. It is. You know, I uh, as I always joke with you, my whole career has been on demand with Knowledge Link and everything. I never do anything live. Right. And I don't do a whole lot on social media, so we're we're breaking all kinds of boundaries today. Dude, it was we're breaking through walls, right? So <laughs> that's, that's so, a theme. I mean, it was it literally took an act of God and Congress to get you to come on live. You're like, no. <laughs> the first time I asked you, no, I'm not doing it. I'm like, come on, man. But anyway, you didn't say no, but you said, yeah, I'll do it eventually. And so thank you. I really do appreciate you coming on because you're, you're amazing, dude. So, um, you know, I, so you, I, I think that the, you know, childhood has a tendency of influencing who or what we become. Like there's, there's generally somebody in our childhood or something, some event that kind of influences what we become and when i say that to you is there anything that comes to mind like was there a massive influence in your childhood 
So, you know, I had a, I had a good, you know, I guess, uh, compared to a lot of people, I had a, I had a good childhood. I, my parents were really supportive. I think, um, you know, my background had always been, I was very interested in, in drawing and writing just all types of creative stuff like that. And I was fortunate enough that my, my parents, you know, there were five kids in my family. I was in the middle. So they were, um, very, you know, very supportive in letting me do whatever it was I wanted to do. And I, and I think, that helped a lot. And, you know, also when you're the middle child in a family of five Italians, you get lost in the shuffle. So no one really knew what I was up to. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, and I moved around a lot. One of the things that is a little unique, I was in a lot of different schools um, for for different reasons. Um, and I think I learned pretty quickly, you know, how to adapt to new situations. And, you know, I was probably in a different school every couple of years. And, you know, in three different high schools in four years. So I did learn a lot that I think, you know, helped me later in life of just kind of adapting to new situations, you know, meeting people and getting comfortable in situations quickly. And, um, you know, and having a lot of siblings was always, uh, was always good. You know, you got, you get an audience at all times to knock you down and put you in your place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make sure you don't get too, too big of a head or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, remember who you are, dude. So, so, um, why did you move so much? So, you know, for different reasons. I started in, um, a private Catholic school and then I wanted to see what the public school was like in junior high and I switched there. And then, you, you know, growing up on Long Island, there was a private high school there, Chaminade, that was, a, a really well-known high school on Long Island. And so I had always dreamed about going there. <clears throat> so I made it, you know, my, my goal was to get there, even though I kind of went back to public, you know, for junior high, I went there for a year and it was probably more strict than I wanted in a school. I, you know, it didn't, didn't really fit with me well. Right. So then I went back to public school and then, and my family moved to New Jersey when I was a senior in high school. And, and I, moved again. So I was in, that was kind of how I got into three different high schools in four years. Wow. And yeah, and it's, and you know, I think the hardest one was probably moving senior year because that's that year that everyone wants to enjoy. Yeah. And for me, it was like fitting into a whole new crowd at a time when really nobody is looking to make new friends senior year of high school. Right. And particularly when you're in Jersey and you're the Long Island guy, they, there were a lot of jokes going back and forth about that. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> so, so, so I mean, what did you, so? What was your what was the uh, profession? What did your parents do? What did they were they entrepreneurs as well or? Uh, no, so you know, but it had a lot of impact on me. My dad had been on Wall Street his whole career, and he was real successful on Wall Street. He was, um, you know, probably at his peak was the head of national sales and recruiting for Payne Weber and and then UBS. Wow. And, so, you know, everyone out of five siblings, you know, pretty much everyone went to work on Wall Street. Mm. And um, for me, I was kind of wanted to get into something more creative. I didn't really want to do that. You know, I built my career, you know, serving a lot of financial services firms now. So I always joke like I'm the black sheep of the family, but I haven't gotten that far. Right. I still work. You know, I still make a lot of my money serving financial services. I just don't I'm not a trader or a stockbroker like the other ones. Right. Right. But. Yes. Yeah, so not entrepreneurial. My mom was a stay at home mom and she was there for all of us all the time, which was awesome. And uh, but yeah, and that's kind of uh, that's kind of my track through childhood. It was a lot of fun, you know, having 
so many siblings. Right. But, uh, yeah, there was always a lot going on. So, you know, you, you had to kind of make your own place. Right, right. Did you uh, – I'm curious. This is almost a rhetorical question, by the way. Did you, <laughs> did you, get, in, did you get in any trouble as a kid? <laughs> so, all right. So, believe it or not, I, I was actually the good one out of uh, – not the best, but, you know, probably <laughs> middle of the road, you know. Really? My, my brother probably got was, – was known more for getting into trouble. Yeah. Um, I think he liked that. And um, – <laughs> I was, you know, I was generally a pretty good kid, you know, and I think, you know, when you're bouncing around schools so much, you don't have time to get in trouble. You're, right, you're just trying to right. fit in, right? You got to be yeah. kind of acclimated to the school, right? Uh, so. yeah, before, yeah, before you get into any hijinks, you right, got to right. get settled in. So, so you, so you, you know, you graduated high school, you went to college where? You mentioned that. Yeah, and, you know, and I think to some extent, my experience of being in in so many different high schools had a bit of an impact on my college experience. Cause I went, uh, you know, I went to Villanova. I, you know, if I looked back on it, Villanova, great school, I, I had a super experience there, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life. Yeah. Like nobody does at 18 years old. You know, I think I was 17 at the time. And, um, you know, when I selected Villanova, you know, it's a great school for business majors and it's good for general liberal arts. But I didn't really know that I wanted to be a writer, per se, at that time. Right. And I might have picked a different school, you know, out of the ones that I was looking at. My brother-in-law had gone to Villanova. My sister went to a private girls' school nearby. So I always liked, you know, I, I got a really good tour, like an insider's tour, and that, that always helped. So I, I decided to go there. And I think after my first year or my, my second year, I realized it, it didn't have the majors I was looking for. But I, had, I told my mother when I started school that no matter what I do, because I was a somewhat persuasive kid, you know, because some of those some of those school changes were my parents just being very supportive and me lobbying to get to a different place. Wow. And I said, no matter how much I ask, don't I want to stay in one school for four years. Because that's the experience I never had of like going back to a reunion. I wouldn't even know which high school reunion to go to go to now. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, for four years, I'm going to stay there. And when I came and I said, yeah, I think I want to switch to a film school now. My mom said, yeah, I remember I, you told me not to let you change. And I'm going to stick to that. You're staying and, and sticking out four years at Villanova. And um, wow. so, yeah, so it did change my path a little bit. But I went in and um, spoke to the dean at the the liberal arts school there. And I said, you know, I really want to be a screenwriter and I'm really interested in film and I've gone through the syllabus here. And I think I can like practically create a minor here if I stack enough of these courses that are the things I actually want to do. And again, they were really supportive and I probably just wanted to get me out of the office. Right. So I like, hey, go ahead. You could do it if, it if it keeps you happy. And so I, <laughs> I kind of created my own film minor in a way. I took a lot of film analysis classes there, a lot of writing um, communications classes and um and really kind of fixed on becoming a screenwriter when I was in college. Wow. So so you um so after after I mean so what was your final degree in? So final degree was in communications. That was the major. Okay. And and what I did everything I did at that time now they have a real full-blown communication school there with, you know, film minor and broadcasting and all that. At the time it was just communications. Okay. Okay. Um so when you got out of of college um now is that it you got you just got the undergrad 
Yeah, so I got the undergrad, and you know, at the time, I don't know if it's even the same for kids now. Everyone does the college fairs senior year, and I, my parents were really nice enough to introduce me to a friend of theirs who produced films for a living, um, smaller independent films, read scripts for a lot of big actors. They introduced him, uh, me to him, and I saw I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is everything I want to do. I'd love to create films for a living. I'd love to write for a living. Yeah. And he didn't seem like he had a – it didn't seem like I had a lot of pressure at work. It seemed a lot easier than what my dad was doing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I set in my mind that I wasn't going to go to any college fairs. I was just going to be a screenwriter. Wow. And, you know, I'll just bang out a screenplay, sell that thing, and next thing you know, I'll be in Hollywood. Right. And, you know, little did I know, it was, that was not a, exactly how it works, you know? <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, so I, but I wrote my first screenplay while I was in school, um, senior year, instead of uh, looking for a job like other, like normal kids probably would have done. Yeah. And I brought it back to that guy, and his production company optioned it. So, you know, before I got out of school, my first screenplay um, was optioned and was getting chopped around to, to get produced. So in my mind, I, I didn't need any more schooling. I right. considered going to film school after that, but you know, a, a, that guy had told me, he said, listen, you can go to film school and spend a lot of money, but either you can tell a good story or you can, and no one's going to teach you that in school. Right. And so I, I burrowed down, got a job as a video store clerk and a waiter. Hold parents dream when you uh after they just paid for four years of college <laughs> you worked like at blockbuster yeah so it was uh not even a big name video store back then there were like little mom and pop yeah. video stores still i i remember thinking so about opening one. it was yeah I, I mean i i worked it and by the way like if you think back back then this is the time when Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and all those guys were really popular. Yeah. And it seemed like a career path to go work at a video store yeah. and write your screenplay. And, you know, probably not the most logical career <laughs> path. But, uh, yeah, so I did that. I did 13 rewrites on that script, met with a bunch of directors. It wow. was a, it was a good experience. It was, it was hard. I, I learned how difficult that industry really is. Right. Uh, from, you know, from that, you know, a couple of years of doing that. So you got a degree in communications. You immediately, I'm sure that was fairly inexpensive going to Villanova. <laughs> I'm kidding. At the time. <laughs> um, but, but like, so you took all of that, that training and you applied it as, as a um, waiter. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, you know, and I leave a little bit of this story out because I wasn't like a, a fancy New York City waiter. I was waiting tables at an Applebee's in a mall. So <laughs> I, I did it highbrow. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Your yeah, parents so must have been so proud. <laughs> they were. They were very proud parents. You know, again, I always say I was a middle child. You forgot about me. You, you, didn't, you didn't realize where I was going to end up. <laughs> So, yeah, so I, you know, funny thing is, though, you know, I think everybody's path is different. And I, I, um, I, I'm still involved with Villanova and their entrepreneurial group there and everything. And I had the opportunity to speak to some of the students there. And I said, you know, it's interesting because you don't know what your career path's going to be. You kind of know where you want to end up, but you take a lot of twists and turns along the way. And I didn't think that, you know, working at an Applebee's would have been part of the path to, getting paid to write for a living essentially. Um, but it was kind of the first step along the way for me. And, you know, I met my wife waiting tables at Applebee's. So, oh, did you know, you? 
Yeah, so, you know, it was oh, all for a reason. Was she working there also, or was she um, a, a, a customer? Ken, it would be uh, it would be against all Applebee's policies to be dating the customers. So, of course, <laughs> of course she worked there. <laughs> that was probably against policy, too, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> She, my wife is from North Dakota, came to New York as a nanny to get out, out here and, um, wow. didn't, you know, wanted to meet more people. So she started waiting tables at Applebee's on the weekends. And I, of course, was a full time waiter, you know, doing on the management track, I think, you know, unbeknownst to me. Yeah. Making up the floor plans. And I just kept putting, you know, Amy V and John T in smoking section every time, every day time. And, <laughs> Sooner or later, she, you know, didn't have a choice. <laughs> oh my gosh! So you made it into management at Applebee's? Almost. I my my oh. parents the kibosh on it before I went that deep into the path. <laughs> so okay, after your your um, extensive Applebee's career, um, what what came next? Where where did you end up? I, I mean, and 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 I'll I'll probably move this along a little bit, but. At some point, you got into the entrepreneurial phase of your life. Um, did you do anything that kind of prepared you for that, you know, before, you know, or after Applebee's? <laughs> no, I think mostly just go straight from Applebee's and start your own business and just roll the dice. That's kind of, yeah. You're like, God, I, I can do that. I can do anything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so what ended up happening is that my, my screenplay – screenwriting career was, you know, not, not taking off as I had expected. Uh, my dad made the final offer to come and work on wall street, you know, like everybody else. Yeah. And so I, I took him up on it and uh, I went and I said, but I don't think I'd be really good in sales. I don't want to be a stockbroker, but I really want to learn technology. And I wasn't really trained in technology at all at the time. I took a job running technology in, in, you know, in some offices in, uh, at Payne Weber at the time and helping stockbrokers learn how to use, the technology that the the home office was rolling out to them, teaching them, you know, how to how to use the systems and, you know, why you use them and all of that. And I really enjoyed it. I loved learning the systems. I got a, a kind of a fast track education, you know, through the home office on all the different technology. Um, funny enough, you know, as you know, Peter Getchell has been with me for years, who's our head of sales. When I decided to leave that job, he took my old position. So he kind of followed my my same path at at Payne Weber. Yeah, Payne Weber, and <laughs> he took over teaching advisors how to use technology. Wow. And you know, as things go, I joined. I I partnered up with the guy Brian Edelman, who had a really good small computer consulting company at the time. He was a true entrepreneur, started it from nothing, and um, he was consulting for stockbrokers in the office. And he asked me to come and you know you know, leave the big company and, and come work for a, a small company. And I did that computer consulting for, I think it was probably the next four or five years. And that was my first entrepreneurial experience. I really learned everything, you know, from the ground up, you know, working with someone like that. At the time, there was just two of us and an assistant. And then we built it up to probably about um, maybe 10 or 12 consultants at the time. And it was a good time. It was like the late 90s. It was a great time to be computer consultants because people would spend thousands of dollars to fix a computer because they cost so much back then. Right. And that's kind of how we made our, our living. And, uh, yeah, and it was good. It was great experience. I learned a lot, a lot from that experience. And I also got into technology, which kind of paved my way to what we do today. So, so, um, 
I, and Pete, Pete's on here, by the way. Like he's <laughs> he's watching right now. Yeah. He's telling you to get back to work. Go sell something, dude. <laughs> I, I told him, don't listen to this, man. You could be selling right now. Do something valuable. <laughs> He's probably got the whole office huddled around his computer right now. So, so, um, so you eventually though, because dude, I want to get into, you know, what you do now, because number one, what let's, let's go back to where, at what point did you go? Okay. Like, cause a lot of people that know the name knowledge link, but they don't realize that that's that it's actually Edulence that is the umbrella company, right? Um, so you've got some some spinoffs of 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 Edulence, and one of them, the big one, is KnowledgeLink, right? Am I right with all that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in 2002, um, we started myself and and two partners. We we founded Edulence, and we didn't really know what we were going to do, but what we realized is that as computer consultants, and this is a lot of our clients today are experts, and they deal with the same challenge, is you know you get a lot of notice for what you're doing, you get the opportunity to potentially have a national contract with a big company. But there's only one of you with that expertise and you don't really know how to scale it. And particularly back then, there was no, you know, ways to do this through the Internet very easily. Right. So we got there was a a large insurance company client of ours back in, you know, early 2000 that said, we love what you guys are doing. And, you know, my my partner at the time, Brian, was really good with CRM adoption. And they said, we really want what's in Brian's head, but we want it nationwide. You know, and so how are you guys going to do that? Come back with a proposal. So I kind of, you know, shifted gears back to like my screenwriter and and film mode. And I'd said, you know, Brian, listen, why don't we get in get in the office here? We'll script a bunch of episodes, shoot you on video, doing what you would do in person. And we'll put it onto CD-ROMs and ship it out around the country and see if we can make money that way. And um Next thing we realized pretty quickly was that we couldn't afford CD-ROMs. Burning <laughs> them and shipping them around the country was pretty expensive at the time. So I had the, the, you know, at the time probably a pretty stupid idea in 2001, I think this was, is why don't we just create an online video platform and we'll put all these videos we're shooting up there and we'll sell these guys the platform and or just give them the platform at the time right. and, and deliver it to them that way much cheaper. And sounded like a cool idea. So we did it. Now, this was years before YouTube was even out. So yeah. no one really was very comfortable with this. And uh, so we shot the videos. We went out and started meeting with big companies like you know, Guardian Life Insurance, MetLife, Mass Mutual, and said, listen, this is the way we're going to deliver this expertise. And um, and there was always someone in those meetings. There's o- There would always be someone across the table with CD-ROMs ready to come out. And, uh, <laughs> And, you know, and we're rebuffering and rebuffering while I'm sweating down my back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they're like, you know, and my, you know, my engineers at the time, we, you know, we just had a small team and they said, just no matter what you do, don't do a demo at 9 a.m. Because at 9 a.m., everyone's checking their emails, they're downloading, it's never going to work. And, you know, sure enough, every demo was at 9 a.m. Oh, and, no. Uh, yeah, so that, you know, early on, there were a lot of bumps because people, it was so new. Right. Nobody did video training. But that's how we got into We launched uh, Edulence in 2002. For the first couple of years, we primarily got paid to produce the content for people, okay. which with my background, that's what I love doing. So, I, you know, I, I liked writing it and, um, and creating it. And then we just started giving them the platform in 2004, 2005 if they bought the content. 
or if they hired us to produce it. And then, you know, the next year came up and we started charging for the platform. And the next thing you knew, we had all these large insurance companies, banks, investment firms using our platform to deliver what originally was just our content, but then they started adding their own to it. And that's that's really where we got. So Knowledge Link, that originally was called, I believe, the Financial Services Training Portal. Not a, oh, not wow. a, really, not a really brilliant name. And, oh, wow. Uh, you put a lot of then, thought uh, into that. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. I am. Uh, I've been removed from all naming responsibilities at this point in the business. <laughs> so yeah, but that became Knowledge Link a couple of years later, and then we've just kept iterating on it and and improving on the product. And today, that's the core of our business is just all Knowledge Link subscriptions. Yeah, yeah. So so um, you so you've and obviously you've done very well. Um, and we don't we don't have to name any of your clients if you don't want to, but there's some pretty big insurance companies and financial institutions that use the platform. Yeah, yeah, you know, and as I was saying, we you know the timing was really good at that back then. Yeah. Is that we offered something in video training that was really sexy at the time. Today, you know, anybody can do it, so you have to have some other differentiators, but. We were early in the market and, and we've taken really good care of our clients. So yeah, we do, I would say, uh, one of our, you know, like claims to fame in our little small corner of the world is that there's probably more than two thirds of the entire insurance industry trains on the knowledge link backbone in one way or another. Wow. So yeah, so it's pretty cool from that perspective because we run online universities for a lot of the companies themselves, but then the content providers that we host are delivering training, you know, sales training, leadership training to the financial services space. And so it's, it's kind of cool. You know, we look at that and we're like, you really feel like you have an impact in the world because there's so many people depending on that pipeline, which is cool. So do you get the, the opportunity with what you're doing? Do you get the opportunity to do the, use your passion for screenplay writing? Yeah. So, um, not for our, our biggest clients typically do it in house. You know, they have a full training department. They'll have a marketing team. They'll, they'll produce. They may even have their own studio. Um, but it's always been a piece of our model. And, and it's, and like you said, it's a passion of mine. So I've never, even though we make much more of our money in the subscription side of the selling the technology. Right. I, I really love the aspect of producing the content and about, it was probably about, uh, 2000, Eight two thousand nine, right around the you know during the recession, mm-hmm. um, a lot of our big financial services clients just cut their training budgets. And the way they did that, they couldn't get rid of the platform, but they came back to us and they said like we're just we can't spend the money to produce our own content anymore. It's just too expensive. Yeah. So you know all these people in in the financial services space. We want the guys the best on referrals, the best on networking, the best on leadership. Go reach out to all these guys and get their content for us. And so it seemed to be a really good opportunity for us to pivot a little bit and create almost um, what we refer to as like the retail version, although it's become kind of the bigger version of Knowledge Link at this point. Yeah. But for the first time, we said, okay, maybe we won't just specifically cater to the enterprises, but let's go out to all those experts who have the best knowledge in the industry, a need to take it off of VHS tapes, CD-ROMs, DVDs, whatever format it was in back then and convert it to you know, online content and then help them sell it back to these big companies. And when we started doing that, we really got involved in helping them create their content, take something that might have just been 
videos on a on a DVD yeah. and turn it into more e-learning. So it's interactive and it's got a learning component to it that's measurable and and that side of it allows me to do the video production, scripting with clients, the strategy and and to me that's the most enjoyable aspect of it really. Hey, my buddy from Puerto Rico just joined, Brian Hess. Um, so, well, he's not from Puerto Rico. He's from he lives in Pittsburgh. He just happens to be in Puerto Rico right now. But <laughs> but so so uh, you know, I guess f- f- from your perspective, and and you and I, I've never even asked you this, and you and I've had several conversations, and and um, but from your perspective, why would a company or a a content expert, a sales expert, a, a whoever that's selling training or providing training to employees um, or team members, why would somebody want to use Knowledge Link and not just use, you know, the the private Vimeo, buy a Vimeo channel or buy a, a private YouTube because you can, you know, you can buy that. Why would they use Knowledge Link instead of that, in your opinion? Yeah, so a good question. That's like the the you know billion dollar question, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm hoping you give me a good answer so good. I can use that the next time somebody asks. Me. I know. I better not. <laughs> I better not screw this one up. <laughs> yeah. Please don't. <laughs> so the, to for us, and I think it's really important. Product market fit is is what I spend most of my time working on at the company now, and it's really understanding what our differentiators are and why would you spend a premium for knowledge link when you could just go and build a, a WordPress site and throw a, a Wistia player up on it and that would work perfectly fine too. Uh, for us, our expertise has always been in working with these large enterprises and delivering content at a very high level to tens of thousands of users. And so when I look at it, I think there's really great applications out there that are at a pretty low price point for any expert to say, hey, I, for 50 bucks a month, I could put my stuff online and start selling to the general public, selling individual courses and um, and maybe to small businesses. But our niche in this market has always been when an expert has gotten enough notoriety or they just have grown their library enough that they're ready for it. And they want to start selling to these big corporations, to the enterprise market, which is where we really cut our teeth early on. Right. There's a whole different level of expectation as far as quality of the application, security standards, how well it's integrated seamlessly into their environment, passing data back and forth from a personnel system to your training system. And, um, and you know, and all those things across the service levels, you know, how much support are you going to have and and what we're, our real expertise in this has been that, you know, you could go out and use Kajabi and do a really good job selling one-off courses to lots of individuals. But if you bring your Kajabi site to uh, Bank of America, there's no <laughs> way you're passing any security assessments, you know. <laughs> and so it's been kind of our main lens that we see everything through. If someone really wants to access the corporate market, and, and we deal with a lot of professional speakers who speak to audiences of, you know, over a thousand people at a major corporation like that. And yet when they go to deliver their online knowledge product, they come with a, a website or with a, you know, a, a retail solution. And they're always wondering, like, why is it not selling? Why is it not working? And I, I tell them, you know, like when we do those deals with our clients, you have a 50 page security 
security assessment that you have to complete just to just to get in the door. Right. And then they have all kinds of integration requirements. And so we really made our, our our brand represent more than anything is helping that process. How do we help you package and integrate your product into a big corporate sale like that? And and that's what KnowledgeLink is all about. Is 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 vo- it's volume. It's not not just volume, but it's it's um it's volume. <laughs> I mean, it's it's producing something that you can sell to the masses because I do know people that have been on, you know, that are that are on WordPress platforms or they're on they're on and and it's like, dude, and and it's such a low price point that that I mean, it really it's it's actually a stupid low price point and there's no revenue share. There's none of that. And it's it's just a, a great platform. You guys have made it from my perspective so easy. It's drag and drop drag and drop easy to use it's incredible but but we won't we won't get into all that this is about you and your life story so you've created this incredible platform it's a global it's now known globally it's a it's it's one of the top platforms in the world um i know there's hundreds of thousands of users on it but but so when at some point though you also became involved in a uh, an entrepreneurial um organization where you help other entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. So uh, about, I guess it's probably about seven years ago, I joined Entrepreneurs Organization and, uh, you know, I've been in the New York City chapter and, you know, I recommend it to, you know, like anyone, not necessarily this EO, you know, Entrepreneurs Organization goes by EO, but there's, you know, YPO and there's Vistage and there's smaller accelerator groups. But I, I think it's important, you know, even though sometimes you have partners, uh, and in my case, you know, I co-founded the company, but, you know, my partners went back to running our, our other company. And so for many years now, I haven't had a, you know, a co-founder or a partner that I see every day at work. And you've got your leadership team that, you you know, that understands the, the vision of the company, where you want to go. But then there's all these other things that come up just, you know, like how do you balance the, you know, work with personal life and things like that. And you don't necessarily have a a sounding board your wife doesn't want to hear about it all the time and right. your leadership team doesn't want to hear you complaining right. so hey. I, these entrepreneur groups are great because you're with all like-minded peers and at whatever level you get into or whatever version of it 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 was a really nice outlet for me at the time to get involved and just to network with more entrepreneurs and then i became the i joined the board in new york i served as a learning chair i served on like a communications committee and awards committee then I took over on the board as the learning chair, running the learning program for the New York City chapter, which is the largest chapter in the world for EO. EO's got 170 chapters around the world, 13,000 members. Wow. New York, New York is the largest or one of the largest in the world. And you get a really good size budget to run a learning program there. And as you know, like I'm not a live guy, like you, it, you had to twist my arm to get me on a live broadcast. Yeah. I never ran a live event. Everything I'd ever done had been on demand, online, totally disconnected from your audience. Right. So like yeah. even I know I can't see it, but you're seeing feedback from your listeners, which is yeah. cool because I always lived in this world where you put stuff out there on your own schedule. People consume it at some time. You never know if it's working or not. And then I took over as a learning chair and I ran about 20 to 25 live events a year for two, for the last two years in New York. 
And, you know, imagine, you know, New York City entrepreneurs are not the easiest crowd to keep happy. They, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. You know, so it's high pressure from that perspective. But sure. it was one of the coolest experiences for me because I really got to see that other side of running live events, executing a curriculum of, of events throughout a year with some kind of an educational arc to it and yeah. really being attached to, you know, 100 people sitting in the audience who have not only they need to get value from the speaker, they also need to, you know, enjoy the venue, the food and beverage and all of that. You get feedback. I always say like running live events, you feel so great the moment the event ends. You're on like <laughs> yeah. cloud nine yeah. until your survey results come in the next morning. And then you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, I got a six five on that one. So, um, yeah, so I, I've done that. That was a great experience for me. And then it opened me up to the global aspect of EO, which I'd never really looked at our business from a global perspective and certainly not, you know, me personally. And now I got asked to serve on the um, EO Global's virtual learning committee that wow. basically runs their learning platform for the 13,000 members worldwide, 100, 170 chapters. And it's cool. It's really great. I mean, I get to work with people all around the world. And you get to see what I think has been great for us in a business way is I see the way people consume content, online content in different parts of the world, what media formats work, what their bandwidth, you know, there's still parts of the world that don't have good bandwidth. You right. know, you don't right. you forget about that. Um, but, and what content like leadership content, does it play the same in every region of the world or is it more important to one, you know, in the U S and not so important in Australia. Right. And so, that's been that's been a really good learning experience beyond just the networking with other entrepreneurs. But it's um, yeah, it's given me such a global perspective on on learning, like more than we've been able to do in the past. Wow, that's incredible, man. So you you, I mean, <clears throat> I, I think that the point I, I really want to want you to 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 kind of drive home, because, you know, the, again, this show is all about um, helping people have a breakthrough. And, and there are a ton of entrepreneurs that watch my show. And, and so, you know, when you like, just when you started this whole knowledge link deal or what, what did you call it at first? The financial service, F FSTP <laughs> <laughs> financial <laughs> services training portal. <laughs> yeah. That. So when you started that, <laughs> um, did you know what you were doing? Uh, so, no. In fact, I had no experience developing a software product. Right. And that was a real learning experience because we outsourced the initial build, and that was a disaster. Then I brought a couple engineers in in-house. They built the initial version. Then I hired a really super smart guy um, to build the next version, which we called – it was KnowledgeLink 2. We called it K2. And it was – a really great application, but it went totally off track from where we wanted. And along the way, I learned I love developing software products. There's nothing better than creating a product from scratch yeah. and then promoting it and finding a user base for it. It's a lot of work, but it's really rewarding. And and I just had never been trained to be, a, you know, to run a software company. Yeah. I'd never been trained to, like, develop. And I, what I always think, and it wasn't a title, We I always created, like, um, like make up made up titles for everybody in our company yeah. and like everyone came back and they're like you know it's really hard for us to find our next job when no one knows what the hell we were actually doing with that title right so then hey. you know and it was because partly i didn't know what what i really was 
And then a, a friend of mine that I'd met who ran a big uh, software company said, you know, you don't call yourself this, but you're a business analyst. And what a business analyst does is they sit down with the business side client and they find out what are your challenges, what are your struggles, what do you need in an application? And then you either build that for them or you try to fit your product into that that um, that business case. And and I love that aspect of sitting down and figuring out how I can I and everyone will joke about this. Is I feel like I can solve everybody's problem yeah. with a digital media solution on Knowledge Link. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> every, right. Every world problem we can solve that way. Right. But it's true that you know for me that aspect I've learned over the years and. Yeah. And so, yeah, breaking through, it wasn't what I was trained to do, although in a very odd way, I spend half of my time creating content for it, which was what I started out wanting to do when I was writing screenplays. I just do it in a different a different form now. But l- let me ask you this. I mean, and, but, and I mean, your parents are still around, right? Yeah, they're both still alive. Okay, so so and when probably you listening. start, what's that? And probably listening, so I have to be nice. <laughs> so when you started all of this, when you said, you know, I, I, I just I got to go for this. Like, how many people said, "Dude, what are you doing? You're crazy. You don't know anything about this." You know, I think I was fortunate. I, I don't know if fortunate or not, but I, I think I've always been surrounded by people who were very supportive and never really said we were crazy. Everyone should have told us we were crazy <laughs> in 2002, you know, telling people you could stream training videos online. And yet no one really actually, I think we've been fortunate enough to where everyone believed it. And they were like, wow, yeah, that, that makes sense. We want to support you and get behind you. And, you know, we raised money early on from, you know, we did a friends and family round and round of um, investment back in early 2000. And, they were so supportive along the way of like, wow. you know, while we figured this out, because we didn't know, as you said, we didn't know what we wanted to become. We were just solving the problem. You know, we we got, a, you know, Guardian Life Insurance was the first client who was interested in our content. And instead of just giving them the content, I came back with a, you know, a video software platform. <laughs> and they were like, that's not what we asked for. We just wanted your content. <laughs> And, you know, and, and, but they believed, you know, that there was something there and, and then we just evolved it and made it better. And like, I also, you know, our whole career was spent serving these big, large, you know, largest corporations in, in the world in a lot of cases on running their online training systems and never thought that we'd spend as much of our time today helping experts build their content and then sell it to those guys. Right. That kind of was a pivot along the way that we didn't see coming. And I, I think you do. You know, we've reinvented our model probably three or four times over the, the 15 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we didn't have, you know, venture capital financing. So, like, pretty much everything after the product was launched was, you know, financed out of our own our own revenue. So you can't take a lot of chances. You know, you got to right. be right. And if you sit sit in a particular market too long and you're wrong – you know, you'll sink yourself. And and so I always say to everyone that probably one of the best things we did is that we pivot. We pivoted really fast. Right. As soon as we saw that the market was not a good fit for us or our product wasn't, you know, applying as well as it should. You know, we we optimized it. We evolved it, and we pivoted to where we needed to go. And 
that's probably been one of the big pieces of our success over the years. But have there been any moments where you were like, oh, God, this is it. We're going under. <laughs> Everybody yeah, I, bail. Go. You know, so in 2000, in, during that recession, you know, a lot of our big budgets at, at the time, and, and a lot of people probably don't recall this, but we were getting big budgets at the end of every year. That was kind of how it was paid back then. We'd get a, a you know a couple hundred thousand dollar budget to do stuff the next year, yeah. and then all of a sudden during that recession, those budgets weren't there, and we had to find a different way pretty quickly to you know we didn't you know it wasn't so much that all of our budgets disappeared, they just it dried up a little bit in a certain way, and we had to get creative on on where we we're going to go, and and that opportunity presented itself to to really work directly with the experts. And, you know, we partnered up with some really good ones early on that, that give us a nice jump start. Right. And uh, that that was, you know, if we hadn't done it, not that it would have been the end of us, but our growth would have stagnated at that point. And, we, you know, we we pivoted well then. And, uh, yeah, and to this day, those experts, while we get like hundreds of thousands of users from our big enterprise clients, the most gratifying work we get to do is working with those experts and seeing them even build an, an audience of 5,000 paying customers. It's right. awesome. You know, it's, inc it's incredible. And I, I love that too. That's one of the things I'm passionate about as well. That's why you and I, we've, we've formed a, a, a partnership in, in, in what we're doing. And so, so, you know, with, with the, along your way, I mean, obviously you've dealt with thousands of entrepreneurs or, or at least spoken with, or you know, um, and especially being in, in in where you are in EO, and which is one of the largest entrepreneurial organizations in the world. Um, but like, so you've done you've done some amazing things. But let me ask you this: uh, when when you see an entrepreneur that's stuck, which we've all we've all met people that are in business that probably shouldn't be, um, but you know, or they need to adjust something up here. What do you think the number one thing is, or maybe it's more than one thing, but what do you think the number one thing is that keeps people stuck in their businesses or just in life in general? This is about your opinion. So my personal opinion on this, and I, I've gone through um, a pretty big life change in this area. And, and one of the things I did uh, I guess it's probably going like, you know, seven or eight years ago in our business is that I got involved with um, the Inc. 5000 list. Right. And it became really important to me to get on the Inc. list and then to keep getting on the Inc. list. Yeah. And. Um. We just froze. We just froze up here. Hang on. I think he may have lost his signal. One second. Sorry about that. We had a little hiccup there with the internet, y'all. Um, calling John back right now. I think. <laughs> Sorry the person about, whom you're trying to reach sorry is currently about unavailable. That. We're having a, a difficulty right now. Um, so John Toda will be right back. Hopefully you guys can still 
hear me. Please say yes if you can still hear me. Um, I think we just had a hiccup in, in the internet. Um, it's probably mine. I'm in the middle of nowhere and my, my bandwidth sometimes goes a little wacky. So, um, the person whom you're trying let, let, let me know if you can still hear me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Moki. Okay. Thank you, Jill, Brian. Thank you. I'm trying to get John back on. Um, it looks like it's saying he's offline. That's strange. He's in the middle of nowhere too, I think. Um, hey, Glenn Lundy, how you doing, brother? I didn't even know you were on here. Um, okay, hang on real quick. Let me see if I can get him back. Um, you know what? Maybe this is an opportunity to uh, to to have a part two with John. <laughs> you really bust him out of his, his shell. Um, yeah, I, it's showing that he's offline, so I don't know, um, I don't know what to do here except for, um, oh, he's log. he just texted me, he's logging back in right now. I think something just, just did crash. I think you're right, Glenn, something did just crash. So, John is, um, as you guys can tell, I mean, him and I have had long conversations about, you know, just technology and how it can be used and to help build businesses and training and how you can use training platforms to, to help build businesses. And this dude is like, if you can't tell, he is a smart cat. He really is. He's not really showing a lot. I'm well, he is, but I mean, he can go deep. I'm telling you, um, he did Hey, uh, his his laptop died. Glenn, he just said, he just texted me his laptop died. So you are 1000% correct. So we're going to get him back on here. We'll finish up here in a minute. Um, a second interview would be great. Yes, I will definitely get him back on for sure on another interview. Um, and, and somebody and... <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, dude, keep your power cord close by. Um, I'll I'll ask him if he uh, if he's written any books, Kevin. I know you asked me that earlier. Sorry, I I forgot to ask him. Um, we I'm texting him. We are waiting. <laughs> so anyway, um, always got to have a backup power supply, John. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, so this guy, like I said, you know, if you can't tell, he's a very, very intelligent guy. He's created one incredible company. Like I said, there's hundreds of thousands of users on this platform. And, um, <laughs> he just, he just texted me and said, sad, I forgot to plug it in. <laughs> anyway. He's, he is, he has created an amazing platform and, and knowledge link is, it's a global leader in, in learning management systems and online training, um, and banks, huge banks. And he's, he's a humble guy. He won't talk about who they are, but there are some ginormous companies that use this platform for their training. And like he said, there's a lot of people, if you're just selling, like if you want to sell training that's like a one-off and you never have any intention of, of um, you know, selling it to a, a big company, 
then you know you can use something like Kajabi, and that's 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 inexpensive enough, I think. Um, I don't even know what Kajabi is. It's not that much, a couple hundred bucks a month or something. But you can use Kajabi and um, is Katie? Oh, Katie Mares is on here. Katie, how are you? Hey, um, we're waiting on John Toda to come back on. His um, his laptop died, and he's texting me. He said, "Sad, forgot to plug it in." So, um, Katie, welcome. It's good. I talked to Katie literally five minutes before the show started. So, um, anyway, the um, John will be back on here in a minute, I think. Um, yeah, you're on. So, so like I said, you can, you know, if you're just doing small, um, things like John was saying, where you want to sell one-off training, well, you can use something like Kajabi, like Kajabi would be a great, a great, um, a great, I just got the weirdest message on my, my public page. Okay. I think he's back on here. Hold on. Let me see if I can buzz him up here. Let's see if we can get him back on real quick. Hang on real quick. We got John Toda. John Toda is coming back on. I think he just answered. Yep, he he answered. John, I don't see you or hear you yet. Can you hear me? Let's see. I don't see or hear John. So give me a minute. I'll call him right back. So I thank you guys, by the way, for being so patient and kind, waiting on me to get him back on. So um, he's it shows it's green. He's on. So let's try it again. John, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Nothing. Radio silence. <laughs> Okay, so I still cannot hear John. I'm going to give this a couple more minutes here and then have him call me. How about that? There. I told him to call me. It's showing that he's online, so let's see if we can get him back on here real quick. Worth worth waiting on. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. Thank you. John's a great, great guy. So I want I want to finish up with with what we were talking about. Um, let's see. On video. There. Sorry, I'm I'm working on this still here in the background. I have so many windows open right now on my screen. So. Um, I'm trying it one more time to call him. And it's not going through. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to reschedule to have John come back on for a part two. Um, I am sorry about... Oh, hold it. He's calling me right now. Hang on. There he is. There he is. Holy moly. He's back. Oh, uh, Ken, I apologize. You know what? I, I feel I have to explain. This is why I don't do live very often. So my uh, I, I somewhat, somehow forgot to plug in my laptop. And so this is I, I'm not personally in charge of managing any technology. 
this point <laughs> in my career. <laughs> well, hey, so, believe yeah, so it or my not, man, died. like everybody, just about everybody, we only lost like five people, man. Everybody else stayed on, so that's awesome. <laughs> so they, they, well, they, yeah, they, they probably like won't wait story, to see it, dude. Was, well, they were probably thinking it was a, a a more extravagant reason for why I disappeared. <laughs> no, so, you just didn't plug in your laptop. Yeah, yeah. That's so. all right. But I do remember exactly where I was. Good. Let's okay. start there. All right. So I said what I was saying was that there was a time that I was really interested in you know making the ink list and doing that repeatedly. And what I started to feel a little bit about a lot of those things is that it gets very competitive. That you're you're really looking at your headcount, your revenue number, and even when you have investors to small, even on a small scale, you're really concerned about you know moving the revenue number up every year, getting more heads in 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 the seats. And I somewhere along the line, it might have been about the time when I started with with uh, EO. I realized, you know, like you can't think of building your business as a competitive thing. You know, you're going to grow at a different rate than everybody else. You can't compare yourself to everyone else. I got really fixated on how big our office was, how many heads were, you know, sitting at the desks. And you you almost are never happy. You become a discontent about your business to some extent because you could always be bigger. You could always make more money. And if you start comparing yourself to every other entrepreneur out there, every business you see, every other software product, even from a feature perspective. I see a product like ours. And I go, oh, wow, that's a really cool feature. I'd love to have that. But I think a lot of people get stuck on that. And I've seen it a lot with all the entrepreneurs I work with. And the best advice I could give to anyone, and I've learned it over the years, is you're on your own path. You're going to grow the way you know, you're meant to grow. And there's only so many things you can do to change that. And you just have to be the very best company you can be serve your clients as best as you can. And, and I stopped, you know, competing on the, the revenue side and the head count. And, you know, I concerned more about, do we run a good business? Like it doesn't matter how much you generate revenue, but how many, how much profit are you making? And how, you know, how many clients would not be able to get up and do their job the next day if they didn't have you there. Mm. And that's the same level of worth, whether you're a million dollar company or a $10 million company, and uh, and I think that was good. And I, I learned a good friend of mine I, while I was in EO and I, you know, I've been around a lot of really successful entrepreneurs, but I had a good friend who I watched his business fail and completely go down the pipes like while, you know, we were working on a committee together. And I think I learned the most from him because the way he handled that failure was like remarkable to me. I, I sat down. I said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, like to me, yeah. that would be like so disastrous. And he goes. Yeah, mate, because he's an Australian guy. He's like, you know, this one didn't work out. So I'm going to go take a consulting gig for a little while and then I'll figure out my next play and I'll come back and I'll be back before you know it. Right. And no shame, no, like no explanation about like why it didn't go well. It wasn't embarrassed about it at all. It was just like, that's just the way it goes. And you just move on, you pivot and you come up with a new idea. And I thought that was cool because I think too many people get caught up in one trying to keep up with the other businesses they see yeah. and then always have that overriding fear that like, God, if this fails, what am I going to do? And you know, you, you're an entrepreneur. That's who you are. You'll build something else. You know, it's, it's, you know, having a successful business doesn't make you an entrepreneur. So I've, and one of my favorite um, quotes and, and there's variations of it, but 
you know, <clears throat> entrepreneurs typically are, are the kind of people that'll jump off a cliff and try to build a parachute on the way down, <laughs> right? Like, or a plane or something, right? So I love that, dude. I love that. Don't compare your business to other businesses. Don't compare what you're doing because that creates incredible vanity, number one. And, and, and you don't, you don't want to go there as a business owner. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you, you know, I, I got to a point where I was complaining about, you know, complaining about clients and employees and our product and all that. And then, you know, a friend of mine said, like, it's your business. What are you complaining about? Like, you can change all those things. You know? <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> like, that's the one thing that goes along with it. Like, yeah, you have to deal with all that crap, but you don't get the right to complain about it. You can just change it, you know? Right. So that's right. the fun side about it. Yeah, I think people forget that aspect because you do get caught up so much in trying to keep up with other people's success. And I, I think it's been good for me in the last, you know, five to seven years where I've just kind of taken my focus off of that. And the company's grown in a lot of ways, you know, much more because of it. Right, right. But you do drive a couple of Ferraris and a Lambo, right? <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> around my parts, you know, no, no one's interested in those fancy cars. It's like, what kind of mower do you have? <laughs> <laughs> How big's the deck on your John Deere? Exactly, like, man. If you don't got 54-inch deck, what good are you? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Right. So, so just, and, and tell, so tell everybody, um, where you're, where you're living now. I mean, not, not your address, obviously, but, but <laughs> what part of the U.S.? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I'm kind of between New York, New York City, where we've always lived and Vermont, and we've always spent our personal time in Vermont. Right. And, um, and so now recently we opened an office. We, our main headquarters is in New York City, but we opened an, another office in Burlington, Vermont. And so, I am kind of splitting my time between New York City and and living out in the country in Vermont. And, you know, it's cool. It's a nice lifestyle. You couldn't pick two more different places to live. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a culture change when you're going back and forth between the two. But Dude, it's cool. You almost need a passport to live where you live. <laughs> yeah. like, we're on the border. We're yeah, we're about as close to Canada as you can get without a passport. <laughs> I know. And, and my wife's on here. She, she, she loves, she loves tractors. And, and when I first met her, she had a John Deere with a 62 inch deck on it. I was like, Oh my God, I'm in heaven. So, Tractor. so, so, you know, if, if somebody called you up and maybe you've received this kind of call and I ask this question of everybody on the show, um, if somebody called you and, and Katie Mares, by the way, I was telling you about Katie before the show. She's on here right now. I love Katie. She's amazing. Cool. So, so, um, she said, yes, Canada with the Canadian flag on there. <laughs> but so if, if somebody called you and they said, John, man, I can't pay my electric. It's getting shut off tomorrow. Um, my, my car got repoed last week. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I can't make payroll. My, my, you know, I'm struggling with everything and I just don't know what to do. You and I know that's, that starts right here, right? You got to have a big mental shift, but, but what would you say to help that person have that shift? What would you say to help that person get to yeah. the next, to the next level, get out of that? 
Yeah, so I, I think what is important to remember, and, and I do this a lot still with our team today, is that you have to think about the people you serve, the clients you have who depend on you. And aside from making payroll, which everyone has those struggles, right? You know, they lessen or they change over the over the years as your business grows. Yeah. But, you know, you, you can never do everything you want to do. You never have all the resources you want. And sometimes it's really tough. You know, there were times, you know, like early on for us that you never knew where your payroll was going to come from. But I think one of the things that's important for any business owner is that can never impact the job you do for your clients. Because quite honestly, when they trust you and they give you their money to run, whether you're doing services for them or you're running technology for them or whatever it might be, or you're, you're a professional speaker giving talks and inspiring their, their people, nobody cares whether or not you can make payroll or whether or not like you, you can't get your, you know, mo- enough money together to make your own mortgage payment, but they depend on you for something. And I, I always feel like to some extent you, you find your base in that. Yeah. Is that there are people out there that depend on you and you built a business and people started giving you money for that service. And I will be the first one to say that, you know, I never I never felt that I was very good at raising money and managing investors and doing that. And I know there's a lot of people out there are much better at it than me. But the thing that I've always felt that I was really strong in is I take good care of customers. And I always found my base in that is that I could always solve my problem. I wouldn't go out and say, well, if I could just get another million dollar investor, I could I could add all the features I need. I would always fall back on and our team today is very much like this, too, is, well, just serve our clients, generate more revenue and you will figure out, you know, your your own way out of the problem. And the base of it all is there's people out there who buy your product or service and they depend on you. And, you know, you can't go out of business. You got to keep the lights on for those people. And yeah. I think that's probably the best thing to kind of lock in on if you've got to make a breakthrough like that. I love that, dude. I, you're, you're a thousand percent right. I, I think, you know, too many people fall into the victim mentality. And hey, there, <clears throat> Shaka Dyson just joined. He's a Knowledge Link client. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, yeah Shaka's awesome, man. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think people fall into that where, where things start going wrong. And or, you know, something doesn't go the way they thought it should go. And so they they fall into that that place of becoming a victim and and they don't. And, and it, it locks them up. I, I mean, yeah. I've been there. I'm not judging because I I've definitely have been there. And I think that it's tough to be an entrepreneur and not hit that wall. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think everybody hits it. It's it's how. You handle it, right. how you overcome it. I, I think anybody who tells you they never, they never lay, you know, in bed at night and like stare up at the ceiling and wonder like, when's it all going to fall apart? You know, like they, they'd be lying, <laughs> right? You know, like you're always, you, you've got that self doubt all the time. Right. Like, you know, one's going to love the product. Maybe they're all going to leave tomorrow. You know, <laughs> and you know, and whatever the product or service is, I think that doubt kind of goes along with it. And, um, one of the things I did this, uh, strategic coach early on in my career. And it was a great program for entrepreneurs. And, you know, a lot of it was how to scale your business by delegating. But one of the biggest things was positive focus. And it's this practice of and, I, and you hear it all the time now. And I guess it's not very different than gratitude and practicing, you know, some forms of meditation. But like on a regular basis, it's really important to look back on what you did accomplish, because 
especially for an entrepreneur, because you set out to do a certain amount of things in a week. And if you look back on Friday and I have kind of made that a practice at the end of the week, sit down and say, okay, just to, you know, to know that, cause it's very easy to get down on yourself and feel like we didn't move anything forward this week. We didn't get any closer to our goal this month. But if you do a positive focus practice where you say, okay, what did I get done? Like, cause you always get stuff done. And I think entrepreneurs are like victims of that is that you right. forget the 10 different things you did in a day that right. weren't on the list, right. but right. it's still part of, you know, it's still part of running the business. Like I spent, you know, like setting up a holiday party for, for our employees, you know, like that takes a lot of time and phone calls that wasn't on my list to do. And uh, no, I'm not making any more money because of that, right? <laughs> right. but you know, it's, it, but it's something that's got to get done. And I, and I, Feel like that practice. They said um, in this training, which is really cool. They're like, you know, when you're on on a ship out in the middle of the ocean, and you're in the middle of no land in sight anywhere, and you're looking forward. And and this is like an entrepreneur with your business. You're always looking forward. Where am I going? Where am I going? And I was always like that. I was never happy. It was like, what's next? What next? And you never see anything on that side. And then you look back from where you came, and behind your ship, it's just open water, and you don't see where you came from either. You lose your way somewhat, you know, because you don't have any, you know, any mileposts to look at. And so they said positive focus is good because you really have to look back and say, okay, here are the, the marks I hit along the way. And they may not all be glamorous and exciting, but for any business owner, you know, that stuff has to get done. It's not always the, the sexiest stuff in the world, but running a business has all those pieces and you should be proud of just being in business in any form every yeah. week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you, man. I agree. I, I think that, um, look, I, I've had a, a, a guy on here asked if you've written a book yet. Have you written a book yet? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a writer originally by trade. And I will tell you, I've got the first chapter of like eight books. I just never get past the first chapter. <laughs> but yes, it's a goal of mine. I just said to my, my leadership team, one of my, my goals for next year is to actually get my book done. And so, yeah, it's, I I uh I would love to get back to it. I always say like writing's my favorite thing to do. It's just running the business and writing for our clients all the time. Yeah. Somehow my uh my book has gotten kicked to the curb for many years here. So yeah. it does it once you know what's interesting about that is once you just commit and say in the next two weeks it's gonna be done. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see you come on a on a on a video chat like this and I see all your walls of wisdoms shoved in my face behind you and i'm like <laughs> well he's got three copies of his book there i don't even have a, a chapter done <laughs> that's right man you gotta you gotta you gotta just you gotta make the decision man it's like anything else right and 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 grant cardone is you know he's an inspiration to me and he he says look he goes you can you can you can make time or you can make excuses but you can't have both like you got you manufacture time in in yeah. life is what he says and and I agree once I committed he I mean I, I he wrote his first book in like 3 hours or something crazy and I'm like well holy crap man if he can do a book and it's thicker than my book way thicker and and like I'm like, if he can do that in three hours, I can do, I can do yeah. mine in seven days. I'll give myself seven days. Right. And, yeah. and I did it. I did it. So, you know, you can do it. Sandy says, thanks. Such, such great advice. Um, I've also, um, I've also had to make sure I connect with those people that are put in my path. Um, yeah, I, so I'm sorry. It's a lot. I can't read all that. Sorry, Sandy. 
Um, but John, I'm sure you're going to go back and share this to your, um, your, your, your people and, and, and read the comments and stuff. And, um, everybody that watches this, send John a friend request on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're going to force me into social media one way or the other. I know I'm trying, man. I got to get you out of your shell, bro. Like, I, dude. dude, you're you're one of my favorite people on the planet. Like, you, you're just a cool dude. We normally, like, I don't know, by accident, we just started having, like, this Friday night chat, right? When you're driving yeah. home or something, I'll get a call well, or I'll call you. Yeah, so, you're usually getting pizzas. You yeah, know, right? No, I don't eat healthy. I don't eat that crap. <laughs> <laughs> dude, you called me out on my own show. Uh-uh. <laughs> So listen, man, thank you. I appreciate you, um, you know, the even with the technology hiccups we've had, which that's that's part of being an entrepreneur, man. You just deal. Yeah. You just it's gonna keep happen, going. Right? Just keep going. Yeah. The show must go on, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, man. I I appreciate being on here. It was really fun. Yeah. What's, how, how, what's the best way for everybody to follow you? Yeah, so you know everything I do, and and from a writing perspective, now trying to get into the habit of it, I'm, I've been writing uh, blog posts on our website. So getknowledgelink.com is our our main website. There's a podcast page there and a blog page. I do a podcast episode every Wednesday. We release a new one. So that that I'm super excited about. I love doing. I get to interview different entrepreneurs and experts every week. Yeah. Um, all of that. Now that's learning life. Uh, learning life with John Toda. So it's on iTunes, Spotify, all of those, but, um, and it's I also on, on it. A, yeah, Ken was on it. Yeah. You did, did well, man. It was a great episode. That it was, was cool. That was fun. That was a lot. And, of fun. uh, yeah, so you can learn a lot about us, you know, on getknowledgelink.com. Check out the podcast and the blog posts. I know KnowledgeLink TV is our handle on, on social media that our, our team runs, yeah. which, you know, kind of keep up on what we're doing as a company. And, uh, yeah, definitely. I, love you know i love doing the podcast so anybody's interested learning life on uh with john toto be cool check it out awesome dude pete pete just put the put the um the link to the website in so thanks for that pete it's the only comment peter has made this entire stream oh i'll get some comments about my computer running out of battery (laughs) i'm sure afterwards (laughs) i may have made a comment while you were trying to (laughs) i won't live I won't live that one down too yeah, soon. Yeah, sure. no. Uh-uh. <laughs> Good thing I'm not invited to the, the holiday party there. So, um, But, John, hey, listen, I appreciate you, man. I think you're freaking awesome. You have, you've created, you know, and for those of you that don't know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know what the title is, Premier Marketing Partner or something like that. Yeah. Um, for, for Premier Partner. And, and to that, that end, I, I'm a huge advocate of people working with, like, yeah. I, I think the hardest thing for people is to come onto a platform like KnowledgeLink and try to do it all themselves. Yeah. And the most successful clients we're seeing out there coming on now are coming, you know, working with you. So the partnership with you, I, I think it's super cool. I love, you know, I love working with you, but also I see the results Yeah. because people have someone to actually execute. It's not that easy to get these things off the ground. So it's not, lo- man. Yeah. So I love what you're doing. You're our, our, our most premium of premium partners. <laughs> <laughs> wow awesome i'm top shelf yeah i don't know I what made it. i don't know what that's good for but you know <laughs> yeah. come out come out for the holiday party you can throw axes at a wall <laughs> you know 
you can get that. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on. I know you're a busy dude. And and everybody, I can't believe everybody stayed on. Like most people stayed on here, dude. That's that's incredible. Like you were gone you. for like four minutes or so. <laughs> well, thanks to your audience. Thank you for putting up with me. Right, thanks to everybody <laughs> for being here. John, thank you for being on. Don't hang up on Skype. Everybody have an awesome day. Thank you so much. And we will see you guys, I think, tomorrow. So have a great day. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you.